This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, friends. My name is Alex. I look after social media marketing and events at Look Mum No Hands, a cycle cafe bar workshop on 49 Old Street, London. And I'm usually joined by my stoker, Jenny, the director of the London Bike Kitchen. I want to share a funny story that Laura Scott DM'd me on Twitter saying, we should do a transatlantic way debrief. She'd been chatting to some of the riders in a Facebook group and thought it would be a good idea to get them all together at Look Mum No Hands and everybody could just chat about what happened and maybe share some of their stories and maybe advice for anybody else that was interested in doing the ride. So here we are. That's exactly what happened. It was an amazing night. It was actually the same night as the England match. And so many people came and I'm really honoured. So here is a live recording for you. Please enjoy. Thanks everyone for coming out. So this is the Transatlantic Way debrief. So we wanted to come together. Uh, a lot of the riders are London-based and we thought it would be fun while we're sort of still all processing what happened out there <laughs> to have a little chat and share our experiences. So we're going to kick it off with Adrian, who is the race organizer, to tell us a little bit about what exactly it was we were doing. Hi, uh, uh, my name's uh, Adrian O'Sullivan. And uh, I'm 50. I was 50 last week. So, um, yeah, so I think you're all here tonight to uh, listen about uh, this race that I organized. Um, it probably started about four years ago when I was cycling in Ireland and I was doing a, a 1200 Audax with the Long Distance Irish Cycling Association. And it was around the Ring of Kerry. And the weather was fantastic. It was a bit like it is now. It was 24 degrees in Dingle, which was a heat wave. And the scenery and the ride was just out of this world. And then uh, following that year, I did a big long ride in America called the Trans Am. And when I got back from that, there were two questions that everyone asked me. One was, how many miles did you ride every day? And the other one thing was, what's next? And um, I could answer the first one, but I couldn't really answer the second one because I don't really like to do the same thing twice and I'd done a couple of the big rides that were going on at the time and I haven't got a mountain bike so I'm not into mountain biking because I know there's thousands of big long rides for mountain bikes so I wanted something on the road bike with all the gear I already had and uh, I started researching and I first of all I thought maybe England I think England should have one because there's a lot of long distance cyclists here and I kind of looked and you know looked at a lot of the Audax routes and everything and I thought mm, lots of A roads and then I thought Ireland, because it's a bit close to home and it's logistics for European people, it's quite cheap to fly there and it's like one currency, one language, you know, uh, the logistics of it. And uh, as I was like Googling around, this, the Wild Atlantic Way had just been formed by the Irish Tourist Board and they just basically connected all the roads along the west coast of Ireland. And a lot of them I'd ridden and it was just a light bulb went on. And uh, four years later, I'm sitting down chatting to you lot about all these mad people that have done the ride. There's, there's a couple in here tonight as well. They did the first one, which was uh, two years ago, and this is only the third year, and it just it seems like 30 years that this ride has been going. <laughs> so much has happened in three years. But uh, So, yeah, thanks for all being here, and uh, I hope you listen to I'm going to go and sit in the audience, because I'd rather see you than listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, cheers. So we're just all going to introduce ourselves. Thanks, Adrian. 
Um, so I'm Laura. This was sort of second race of this type I've done. I tried to do the Trans Am in 2016. It didn't go so well. I got hit by a car, fractured my collarbone, but did like 2,500 miles of it. And so I think that's when I really got the bug for this kind of racing. And so this one for me was kind of all I wanted to do was finish. That was my goal. <laughs> so did that. Hey, I'm Jenny. I'm more of a runner. I do a lot of solo challenges, and I have no idea why still I signed up to do races, but I really enjoyed actually having company out on the road, so that was quite fun. Uh, my goal, as well as Laura, was just to finish, and pretty stoked that I did, so that's it. Hi, my name's Fraser. I did the Transcontinental last summer, and this was just kind of, I did this off the back of that, because I wanted to beat my mate Sam Thompson's time. <laughs> I didn't really care that much about Ireland before I signed up, but um, I think after doing the race, it really kind of changed my perspective of the place, and it was a really incredible ride, and happy with how it went. Uh, hi, I'm George. I also prefer running, ironically, but um, strangely got into cycling a couple of years ago and signed up for the Transcontinental and did that last year, and it was way too hot, and I was looking for something to continue doing the cycling and wanted something with rain and wind so I wanted the Ireland race trans, uh, transatlantic way and was sorely disappointed this year but um, which is why I'll just have to do it again um, but uh, yeah that's two races into this ultra endurance uh, weird cycling world now uh, I'm James uh, I prefer cycling to running uh, uh, so it's the first time I've done anything like an endurance race or anything like that uh, before that I've done quite a bit of touring um, I did this race on my Brompton um, and my goal, my goal was just to my, uh, the goal was just to finish the race and, and I did that so I'm pretty pleased with that so I think one of the things that we talk about a lot with these races is what a big deal it is to get to the start. Um, one of the things that was really nice in our briefing was Adrian, we all get t-shirts. Can you stand up? Show everyone your t-shirt. Go Rory. Woo. Um, so we all get these t-shirts at the beginning of the race, which is really cool. Because one of the things it is, is it takes such a big time commitment to training and the stress leading up to the race of figuring out what you're even going to take with you and like do you take one pair of shorts or two pairs of shorts like who knows I wish I'd brought two we can explain that later um but yeah and so we it was really nice that acknowledgement of what a big deal it is to even get to the starting line on these kinds of races um so I'm going to start with you sorry um what did you do to prep for the race uh really not very much at all um I kind of did my uh quantity or my quality over quantity when it came to training so I cycled across Spain in March and then I cycled across Spain or France in April and that was basically it I just had two full weeks of cycling and that's where I logged all my miles you can look at my Strava and you'll be like how how did she manage but yeah I didn't I didn't do very much <laughs> same question all oh, right, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, preparation-wise, I, I, I had really good intentions to, to start training at the beginning of the year. That just didn't happen. I didn't do actually any specific training for this event. Um, I've, I cycle to work and back, so I do over 100 miles a week just commuting. Um, I do quite a few like social rides and bits on the weekend. In the past, I've done touring and so on on the bike, so I kind of know my capabilities and, and so on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's just, sure. Uh, so I was just saying, uh, yeah, in, term, in terms of preparation, I hadn't really done much training um, or, or anything according to a plan. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it. In terms of uh, kit and so on, um, I kind of probably took too much bits and pieces. I kind of like took two of everything. Um, so, the, you know, the bike ended up being quite heavy. Um, and so, you know, like I've, I've learned <laughs> if I did it again, I'd probably kind of be a bit more efficient in terms of kit just so to help me over the hills. Can you rephrase the question? Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got a road bike. Um, I, I ride it literally. I ride it once a year or something like that. Um, I enjoy riding the Brompton. <laughs> Um, I would, to be honest, my, my goal was to finish the race um, and not to, not to 
not to do a certain time or whatever. So yeah, I could, you know, like in terms of getting a good time, I could definitely ride a, a road bike. I'm super comfortable riding the Brompton. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's just a really nice ride. I enjoy riding it. It's a bike that I like riding. So so when you know when I was thinking about doing this race, I didn't think about which bike I was going to take. It's just that's that's a bike I like to ride. So that's a, have you spoken to Brompton about sponsorship? Because. <laughs> No. <laughs> you should message them and be like, hey, yeah. guess what? I just yeah. cycled over 2,000 kilometers on a Brompton. I got, I got re, retweeted or whatever by Will Butler Adams, who's uh, kind of the, the guy in charge, but uh, no cash. <laughs> uh, yeah, so how did I prepare? Um, well, I'd done, I'd done the transcontinental the year before, so things like the bike, I already had kind of fixed. So I was trying to in the preparation for this race, I was trying to fix the faults that I hadn't done in the preparation for the last race. So I'll focus on them, which was mainly around making myself comfortable while cycling. So knowing the route better. So I actually spent a lot of time cycling, of course, being trying to get reasonably fit, but also a lot of time planning the route and thinking, where can I, where can I sleep? How long, where am I roughly going to be after day one? Where are all the petrol stations? When do they open? When do they close? Uh, where is it likely to be windy? Where is the no villages, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there was a lot of. I actually spent more time this time uh, preparing my mental states rather than my bike. I, I, I think I, I got really carried away with the bike before. Oh, what, what cassette do I need? What tires do I need? What, you know, how many kilometers have I cycled this week? Like this time I was trying to get my head in the right place in terms of not worrying when I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I've run out of food and run out of water. You know, where am I going to get to the next petrol station? It's 10 o'clock at night and, um, you know, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure everything around is shut and I feel like complete shit. So... That was, that was my goal for the preparation for this race, was getting my head in the right space rather than anything else. So I kind of did, for Trans Am, I kind of did the same thing. Like I, did you use my maps, any chance? No? So most of the people on the Trans Am seem to now have my maps that I made when I did it, because I basically found every single like service that you can possibly find in all of America, and I plotted them into Ride with GPS. So it's like, there's a library in case you need internet and your Garmin wipes itself clean and you need to re-download everything. And I was so meticulous about like every phone number for every bed and breakfast on the route is like in my maps. Well, I mean, everyone has them, so <laughs> I thought you had them. Sorry. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, they're like pretty full on. Like I spent hours. The guys at Ride with GPS emailed me and are like, what are you doing to our system right now? And I was like, I'm putting all the information in. Um, and then with this ride, I was like, that took forever and I just don't care. Um, so I kind of did the opposite way around. The first... I'll, I'll post mine for everyone else. Yeah, I, I want that. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it was the same thing. The first year I took your approach of uh, this year, and this year I was kind of, I did the panic by like, oh my God, I don't have bright enough lights. I'm going to spend 600 pounds on lights, which is absurd. Um, but I was just like, I need stuff. I don't need like mentally. And I think this, I know a lot of the writers have talked about this too, just sort of in forms and things, but having such a tough winter here this year, it made training really difficult. Um, like I know personally, I just kept getting sick in the spring. Like every time I felt like I was getting ahead, I'd go out, do a big training ride, and then get a cold or pneumonia or whatever again. And it just felt like I couldn't get ahead in my training. Um, so for me, I sort of, with my coach, Dean, um, focused on, <laughs> he's, he hates me now, um, <laughs> but focused on just sort of doing like shorter, more intense sessions. So it was kind of like, if I could replicate the training stress of a 10-hour ride in four hours, that was what I was trying to do. So it was kind of replicate like the overall stress on my body, but in less time, um, which with having a job, like most of us do, makes it also easier to fit in. But like having a really crap winter, meaning I wasn't outside and just freezing and getting soaked constantly. Um, for preparation for this, I think the most valuable thing I did was make sure I had some good music for my play iPod. 
Add some uh, Enya and some other sort of good Irish music to kind of, it was almost like a good motivational soundtrack when going through it. Um, another thing I learned from Transcontinental is that uh, injury and kind of niggles do crop up quite a bit. So over the winter, as you said, we had a very rough, savage winter. Um, I'd spent a lot of time in the gym doing sort of Pilates work and focusing on core and stability and that because I think a lot of imbalances grow from doing a lot of the long distance. So it's good to kind of do a bit of cross training to kind of keep things a bit interesting. So I didn't actually do that many miles this year. So I didn't, I sort of went into the, the race tapered and sort of as it progressed, I kind of got more into it. So, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> We're kind of winging this, as you might be able to tell. Um, what was everybody's absolute lowest moment? You reacted the most. Sir. Constantly being overtaken by him. <laughs> Day after but day. But you, you dropped me by the end, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so it's fine. Yeah, because it got boring after a while. Yeah. Always getting heckled by him when he comes past. Oh, hi. I'm sitting, sweating outside a petrol station, sucking on an ice cream and pouring water over my head. And he'd be like, oh, I'm all right. And then, and then vice versa. So you always get a bit of payback. You end up following, the, or not following, but you, know, you end up... Uh, um, Leapfrogging. Leapfrogging, that's the word. Um, the same people over and over again, day after day sometimes. And, uh, and there was you, a lot of that. Yeah, and you kind of think, I mean, you can either be addicted to watching the, everyone has a tracker, so you can, you can go on the internet, you can see where everyone is, any time of day or night, and you can become obsessed with that. And that can really make you annoyed because it's never it's it, never good. There's always somebody who's catching you up. There's always somebody who's getting away from you at any time of the day or night, and that can really play play havoc with your mental state. And and seeing his initials <laughs> coming up behind me as I'm sitting. There was there. others as well. Yeah, exactly. Or on the last day, I mean, the last day was the only day I really raced, and. I wouldn't say that was a low point. That was actually probably actually the high point because actually it was really good fun to race with the end in sight. But then you're const every time I stopped, I was opening, the, opening my phone and looking at the app and realizing that somebody has gained a couple of kilometers on me or, or I'm not making gainings on the person in front of you. And that, oh, it's fun, but it can really play. It really, it really grains on you. And people, I, I, I talk to other people who had done it from the start checking this app all the time and it just they would just go mental with it i had i left it closed the whole time until right at the end because otherwise you'll go mad because you will you will never be making as much progress as you want to be and there'll always be somebody who's woken up earlier than you ridden past you in the morning while you've been while you've been getting bitten by midges and not really sleeping properly you think why the hell didn't i get up earlier and just ride through or somebody's ridden through the whole night while you've been sleeping. <laughs> and you think, I, I saw that guy yesterday. He looked dead. But no, he's decided to run through the whole, he's to cycle through the whole night and he's overtaken me. Now he's 60 odd, 70 odd, 80 kilometers ahead of me. So, yeah, do not, for the sake of your own sanity, track your own dots or track anyone's dots around you. It will drive you insane and you'll never be able to recover. <laughs> Does that mean you haven't recovered then? Because I prepared for you just now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like you got a lot out of it. It's debrief, right? Yeah. <laughs> Deep brief. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, my lowest moment. Uh, I think it was like day four or five, and, um, and uh, I kind of developed this problem with my Achilles heel. So when I was cycling, it was hurting a bit. Um, and I kind of, that was a, a like checkpoint, two point. So about kind of halfway through the race or whatever, and uh, and it was it was pretty bad, you know, like it, it actually hurt quite a bit to cycle, um, and then I realised I could lower the saddle and and kind of I was just wearing normal shoes, so I could I did I didn't have to kind of wear I didn't have to you know the cleats or whatever, so I didn't if I could put my foot forward on the pedal and that just made it more comfortable to to ride the bike, um, but and then in the evening I kind of checked into a B and B quite early. And I went out to get some food and then I went to a pub. And so I, was, I did a bit of walking around the, the kind of village that I went to. And I could, you know, like my, I could hardly walk. And, and uh, you know, got to the pub, 
and I was just sat in the pub and there's like a couple of guys playing music as there are in a lot of pubs in Ireland and uh and I was thinking you know that's it for me you know the the race is pretty much over you know like there's you know like I literally could hardly walk at all um and I kind of hobbled back to the the uh the, the place I was staying at um took some ibuprofen went to bed and in the morning like it's actually surprisingly you know I got out of bed thinking this is going to be absolute agony again and you know like surprisingly it, you know it's actually felt a lot better and then but that from that point on in the race I just had to kind of really nurse that problem and so you know I had to kind of cycle not how I would cycle normally um but yeah in the, in the pub I thought you know that's it the, the race is over so uh, yeah but it turned out it wasn't so <laughs> So you had to cycle the Brompton with one leg? Uh, no, no, it was it wasn't that bad. Like cycling wasn't actually too bad. I think the I think the problem was came about from actually pushing the Brompton over some hills, which is which is why it hurt more walking than than riding the and bike. Th there was quite a few hills, wasn't there? There's quite a lot of hills. Yeah, some of them steep. Yeah. What's your lowest point? <laughs> so. <laughs> there's, a, there's enough people there's enough people who know um, and if you follow the TCR group on Facebook you probably have figured it out um, somebody posted the other day asking how many pairs of shorts she should bring if they should bring one or two and I said a hundred percent two I only brought one pair and things did not go well um, so you can use your imagination there but so basically, um, the day that we hit a kill island, which is, so, <laughs> Adrian, I feel like Adrian's our, like, puppet master, because it's, you, you kind of, there's certain parts of the route that you're like, why am I here? Like, so there's many parts of the route where you have to do, like, a loop and come back on yourself, or you cycled for two days and suddenly you're seeing signs for a place that you were two days ago, um, and you're like, but wait. Why am I getting closer to a place that I left two days ago? Um, anyway, so we're on a kill island, which is one of those ones that you go out, you do your, like, 60K loop around, and then come back off the island. Um, and I got food poisoning and got really, really sick. So I, I spent a good bit of that day throwing up off the side of my bike, and then it went downhill from there quite quickly. Um, which resulted in me standing in a gas station after I shit myself, um, <laughs> trying to use a toilet to clean myself up. <laughs> and the person who was in the toilet at the gas station was there for about 40 minutes. And at this point, I had a full breakdown and just burst into hysterical sobs. So the gas station attendant is now, like, horrified that there's a very smelly girl standing in the gas station just sobbing hysterically and he came over to me and he's like are you are you okay and I'm like I am in my 30s and I have shit myself <laughs> at which point he kind of looked slightly horrified and I was like and this person is taking forever and all I need to do is get into this toilet and clean myself up and he's like you don't have other clothes and I'm like no I don't have other clothes <laughs> like if I had other clothes I wouldn't be in this situation right now um and at which point, he's like, okay, okay. My girlfriend works at a cafe down the road. And I'm like, well, that's great. Um, and he's like, we can call her. We can see if she can help you out. There's a laundromat. We can wash your shorts. And I'm like, wait, what's happening? Like, why are you being nice to me? I'm just, like, freaking out, yelling and sobbing and all over the place emotionally. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in a cafe eating dry toast while this, in some random person's sweatpants as my shorts are being washed in a laundromat around the corner. Um, which is amazing, and I think that's one of the, like that was a high and a low in some ways because obviously I was very low, and at that point I wanted nothing more than just to like pack it in and go home. Um, was like absolutely mortified that it happened, but I mean we're human, and I think you know, you're eating random stuff out of gas stations, and sometimes it doesn't sit well, and you're eating a huge amount of food as well because it's just the reality of the kind of racing that you're feeling constantly and. I mean, your stomach doesn't grow overnight. Um, so 
it was a really surreal experience. But that day, I only rode about 80 miles because I just, I think I stopped around 4 o'clock and I was just like, all I need to do is get into a bed and breakfast or a hotel or something and have a proper shower and just like feel human again and I can restart the next day. And I think it was one of those moments where I knew at that point that I would suddenly be way off track from my goals. But at the same time, taking that time out and sitting back and just kind of collecting myself in a way was the difference between me being able to finish the race and not being able to finish. Because if in that moment I'd made any kind of decision, I would have probably scratched um, and gone home quite, you know, humiliated. Um, so it was one of those sort of awful moments that in retrospect now I find really funny. That's healthy. Yeah, I mean, if you can't laugh at the lows, then I just really don't think you're doing it right. Sorry. Yeah, I, I kind of... I, spoiler alert. Um, that is impossible to talk. But funny, you said, George, because my low moment was also being passed by Fraser. <laughs> I was having a shit day, and Fraser just comes along like, la, 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 how you doing? And I was, I was walking my bike up a hill, and Fraser's just sailing his up the hill, and... Yeah, that was the day I was just falling asleep at the wheel quite a lot and like nodding my head trying to stay awake on the bike. Um, so I had to go to B&B and take a time out because it just wasn't safe, basically. But that's not shitting yourself, so I'm, I'm good with it. Um, if you took any lessons out of this race, like about yourself or about how to race in the future, what would sort of the key lesson be? Um, probably take two pairs of bib shorts because um, I'm still well I just finished it but I just finished my course of antibiotics on that one we won't, we won't go in too deep into that but um, back, back to your question the lowest point in the race I didn't actually answer that it was um, it was actually funny enough when I finished I was having a shower finished in the, the lovely Kingsdale holiday village it was all very sweet you know photos beers pizza it was like amazing had a shower and then I realized in my disgust that I had a, 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 a tick, a massive tick on my stomach, just a parasite living on me. And at this point, I had no idea how long this thing was on me for, but I would just turn into a big panic. I went to the doctor and they had to inject local anesthetic into me and just sort of like dig around my stomach while I was on about one hour sleep after riding about 450k or something ridiculous. And uh, yeah, that wasn't very pleasant having this sort of like realization that there was some sort of thing living on me. But I don't know how long it was on me for, but yeah. But I think, I think I'm all right. Yeah, it's all right. But uh, I don't think I have Lyme's disease, so hooray. I feel like we just lost everyone in the audience from ever wanting to do this kind of racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so hi, let's go to that. Um, like, what was the best moment in the race for you? It was over and I didn't have to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, highs, the whole race was just fantastic, really. Um, the scenery was great, the people are fantastic. Every day I had a moment that was great or had many many moments that were really high really good every i look forward to every time i i had an uh i walked into a store and talked to someone everyone wanted to talk to you um you could talk to everyone um and see and having a fixed route so you would always see other riders i mean this as much as i i, I built it up saying it was annoying it was also nice to see other people every day and, and be able to you know throw some jokes around with them as you pass them or rode with them a while so i mean every day was just full of of uh of really of a sort of micro happy moments i can't really pick one out specifically i was i mean i would the end being a high i was i was upset it would ended i was i would have quite happily have gone on another couple of days even with the bad weather which would just the bad there was a, a storm that came in just as I was finishing and I was like I was mixed feelings about oh thank Christ I didn't have to go out in that as it was whistling around the windows as I was like nicely tucked up in bed and other people were still cycling but um on the other hand I was like well you know actually I quite like to go out in that now and have a, a proper experience 
Yeah, everyone's, some people say, I mean, it's different type two and a half fun. <laughs> so, but I mean, really, every, every day was, was uh, a joy. And um, I would really happily do it again anytime. I mean, it was really good fun. Every day has lots of, you're up and down like a yo-yo the whole time. So there's always little bits to keep you going and motivate you. And also the fact that um, um, something I don't, we don't usually talk about is that my wife wasn't worrying. I was super happy my wife wasn't worrying. Very, a couple of days into the race, um, she'd been worrying sick during the transcontinental the year before. She had lost more weight than I had <laughs> during the race through worry and lack of sleep. She'd slept less than I had somehow. <laughs> and this time, she was cool as a cucumber. Really, it was unbelievable because, because it just seemed like the whole ethos of the race was a little bit less confrontational than some races. It was, it was relaxed. I was having fun. Everyone else seemed to be having fun. Nobody was, until the end, getting bitten by parasites or shitting themselves. So it was, it was a relatively nice bicycle ride at the time. The sun was shining, everyone was smiling, and she wasn't worrying. So that made me extreme, more happy than anything else, to be quite honest, and that allowed me to enjoy the race. Uh, yeah, I kind of go along with that. You know, like, the, the, the scenery was just, you know, absolutely amazing. I took over 400 photos, I think, whilst I was going around, so... Um, and that's like a lessons learned for next time, is actually to, to, to race it a bit more, <laughs> do, do less sightseeing, but... It, yeah, it's just difficult to, to not stop and just kind of like, you know, and, and just kind of really enjoy it. But yeah, apart from that, the downhills were a, kind of a highlight. <laughs> so, <laughs> coming down a mountain pass after you just spent half an hour, you know, working your way up. No sheep in the way. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the max speed you got to on the Brompton? I don't know, it's pretty heavy, so it, it, it gains a lot of momentum on the way down. Yeah, I don't know, I didn't look... Um, I think the highlight of my trip was just the, the Irish people themselves. I thought they were really, really good-mannered, friendly, friendly people. They're just always up for a good chat and, you know, very well-mannered and approachable. And they, they always kept on saying, manners don't cost a thing, which I think is something that perhaps, you know, in London, perhaps people could uh, pick up some of that. <laughs> okay, apparently they only said that to you. So I don't know if that's some sort of critique on your manners or... <laughs> Oh yeah, they all they all do this weird like one oh, finger. One finger. Yeah. Thanks very much. yeah, you're yeah. like oh, okay. I thought it was like the funniest thing at first. So I was like, why is everyone just like doing? I wasn't sure if they were giving me the finger, and it was like some sort of. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Weird, like, fuck you, cyclist. Yeah, but no, everyone who passes you goes... Yeah, it is nice. I started doing it on my bike, and it's like... (laughs) Doesn't have the same impact. Um... I think for me it was the route itself, like it was, and like credit to Adrian on this, because the whole time I felt really, really safe. Like I think it wasn't a route where there was roads that I felt uncomfortable on, and I think the Trans Am, there was loads of roads I didn't feel safe on, to be 100% honest. Um, And maybe like I got hit on the first day, so you know, like that probably makes you a little more jumpy than than normal. Um, But yeah, like I think there was parts where I was, cursing you because I'm like why the hell is he taking us up this little side road with like gravel everywhere and it's like this is not a road there's just sheep everywhere um but then you would look at the map and you'd realize it's because he's diverted you around a major junction or a busy road and that was really nice like I think that for me kind of put me more calm because I'm like I'm on roads that are like low traffic it's safe you know coming through the towns you always seem to direct us right past the gas stations where there's places to get food and so the route itself I thought was just absolutely spectacular and I think one of the things we're probably downplaying a little bit here is just like how tough the route is um I don't think we've talked about that at all um I think like we basically Everested three times during the race yeah 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 so a lot of climbing um I think yeah, you get to climb and you're like, yes, it's only 8%. <laughs> like, yeah, <exactly. laughs> so, and I think like, you know, 8%, like I live around here. So, you know, like in Essex, you're like, cool, I've done like a four hour ride and I've done like 600 meters of climbing. I think it worked out that you had about 1,000 meters of climbing per 100K-ish. Yeah. Um, so it's some serious, serious climbing and just non stop like it doesn't stop there was so many parts you come around a corner and it just looked like a wall in front of you and you're like oh I have to go up that don't I yeah, <laughs> there's no, no you like there and I think that was it you keep hoping that there's going to be a part where you can catch your speed up and there'll be like a little bit of relief for a bit and it's like you maybe get like a half hour of that and then it's just straight back into the hills um but yeah overall I thought the route was was the highlight for me yeah I would echo the same but the Irish people I mean the Irish people were so lovely and it was frustrating to be in a race situation when someone like just sits down to have a chinwag with you and you're like, I can't get into this with you right now. You're lovely, but I'm literally in a race. So that was difficult. How lovely they were was actually a challenge. Yeah. How sarcastic they were. I got a, half a dozen people telling me, you're late. Your, your lot came through yesterday on the ferry in petrol stations. And I, I wasn't that far off the pace. I was like, well, there's 150 people behind me. You're going to be saying that a lot. <laughs> but yeah, that's because, you know, the fast guys had sped through the day before and probably hadn't said a word to them. And they were like, well, you know, we can make fun of this guy who looks a lot worse. <laughs> and is, a, is 24 hours behind them. So clearly he's, he must, he, you know, I think from an Audax point of view or any race point of view, this is, you know, 24 hours would be a long time. But in this kind of race, it's... Not that bad. <laughs> I got given directions a lot, like unsolicited directions. Like, oh, what's that? That's my computer that tells me the race course that I have to do. Okay, well, the best way actually for you to go would be, and I'm like, I know that's the best way, but unfortunately, Adrian doesn't believe in the best way to get anywhere. There was a lot of that. <laughs> Lovely people, though. It was fun. Does anyone have anything else they want to share before we open it up to questions? No? Okay, we're just going to open up to Q&A because I think that's probably more interesting than just hearing us rant about things. Um, So does anyone have any questions for us? Go, Laura. 
Um, so some of you talked about uh, B&Bs and riding through the night and the midges and such. Where did you all sleep? Were you bivvying? Did you plan that in advance? How was that with the weather? Yeah. Um, I had planned to bivvy as much as possible purely because it was something I wanted to improve. You know, I, I don't like bivvying, so I thought, well, I, I best do it <laughs> more. And it's Ireland, I feel safe, and it won't be that bad. It's kind of it's warmish. I'll deal with the rain when it comes. So I bivvied every night bar one, and I didn't ride through any nights because I kind of like sleep, even if it's only three hours sleep. It's better than nothing for me. I slept one night in a bed, and it was the most enjoyable five hours of blissful sleep I have had in years. And it was, I was so, it it was like a mirror. I I took a picture of it because I thought I might be dreaming because I'd booked it on, I have a strategy. When it gets to about six, seven o'clock, and I know I want to stay a night, it was before the ferry. There's one ferry on the route. So I knew that night, I'd either make the ferry or I would, otherwise I'd have to cycle another 100 kilometers to go around. So I knew I wasn't going to make the ferry. So I thought, well, I might as well use the time, sleep in a bed. So I was in Galway and I thought, six o'clock, I'll see how far I can get from here. I'll book myself into a bed. So I was looking through booking.com and up pops this picture from a glamping site. I didn't know what a glamping site was. I mean, I know glamping. <laughs> from like festivals but I didn't know what it was so I booked, I booked it, it was quite cheap and then I got, I got to the place and, and, he, and found the guy who I was because the trouble is when you're booking something you're usually arriving at like 12 o'clock midnight uh, or 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock so you need to have a very understanding owner of the place <laughs> and this, this guy, I'd, I'd already called him and he'd arranged that I would be able to who, how I'd be able to get into the place and I said I've got a bed I didn't know what bed I've got. And he said, oh, you're in the uh, uh, luxury caravan, <clears throat> which was a converted kind of mic- you know, these micro caravans, which they put sort of a lot of fairy lights around and um, sort of lots of sort of hipster sort of stuff in the midside and one electric kind of fan heater. And it was just, oh, it was like a cocoon when I got in there. I just oh, zonked out, went to the shower thing and went there and slept. And did not want to leave until I got up in the morning and looked at that damn app again and saw that three or four people had passed me while I'd be fucking sleeping. <laughs> so then up you get, pack everything on the bike and off you go and zip to the ferry and, tr- and try and catch them up again. So that's, it, it, to get you up in the morning, there's nothing better than looking at sodding app. But otherwise, I wouldn't recommend it. But um, yeah, as far as sleeping, it was bivying, uh, petrol station, uh, a headland, a field, where else? Bus stop, and I think that was it. I can't remember. Sometimes you're so tired you don't care. You really don't care. It could be a you know, doorstep of a police station. You don't you don't know, um, or a pilot or somewhere with ticks. Probably. <laughs> anyway, that was that was the sleeping arrangements. Uh, yeah, I kind of had the opposite strategy. So mine was to actually just uh, stay in B&Bs as much as possible. And uh, it's a real drag because so I get to like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. And you think, how far can I get to You get somewhere for 10 or 11 p.m.? And, and you know, you've got to look at are there going to be hills or whatever on the way. Um, and so sometimes that meant, you know, like you kind of underestimated... The, the, you know, you kind of miscalculated the journey, so it meant you had to really race to get to get to somewhere for when you said you're going to be there. Um, also, found that breakfasts in most places they don't, you know, they they say it's served from eight a.m. or eight thirty a.m. And, and you just really want to get on the road at like five or six or something. You know, you want to minimise on it, so it's a bit of a drag being in B and Bs. And and you know, all I really wanted was just a bed for a short amount of time, and and kind of yeah, kind of slowed that progress down. I, I took a bivy bag with me. I, I didn't take a sleeping bag because, uh, you know, when I was, I literally packed the night before and it was just like too much stuff. So I, I took the sleeping bag out and just had a bivy bag. Um, and there were two nights that I kind of rode through the night and just kind of slept for three hours in a field with a bivy bag. And that was absolutely fine. I think some, I read someone had a tip, which was just to take a midge head net. And that was brilliant. You know, so when I was in the, the bivy bag, I just put this midge head net on and I didn't have any worries about midges or anything. That, that was a really good tip. 
Um, but yeah, the bivvying bit was fine. If I was doing the, the race again, I'd actually race it and I'd try and bivvy as much as possible and, and just not go for the hassle of the B&Bs um, and, and, and yeah, the cost and, and worry about how hygiene later. Yeah. I'm really badly organised and I couldn't really do what you did with the whole booking thing. So I think I only managed to stay in one B&B as well. And the woman, I didn't have enough money at the time because she did take card. And she actually let me stay there for free. And she made me a little pat lunch because I was like, yeah, I need to get up at like 4.30 in the morning. And she didn't really understand what I was up to. But she just made me a little pat lunch and uh, she sent me on my way. But I did end up writing her a letter and sending her some money in Ireland because I thought it was a really kind gesture of her to let me stay. Um, so I stayed in uh, bed and breakfast most nights. Um, heading into this race, I my mom's not big on these races after I got hit last time I tried. Um, so I kind of made her a promise that for this, I wouldn't ride through the night and I would try and stay inside where I could. Um, I just didn't want to add more stress to my family with this one. So I thought, and I didn't do much on the bike last year. So for me, it was kind of, a re sort of entry into racing again. Um, so yeah, so I stayed in bed and breakfast most nights. I kind of did similar where around like two or three in the afternoon would be like, okay, this is where I am. This is where I think I can get to today. What's around there? What's like the towns that are closest? And then just like online sort of look at booking.com. And then um, it's actually better just to call the places up um, because you're like, hey, I'm in this bike race. It's kind of weird, and I'm going to get up at 4 a.m., and so I don't need breakfast, and I don't need a fancy room. But if you have a bathtub or a shower, I would really like that. Um, and I found that worked quite well for me. Um, but, yeah, I think the best night was, as I was coming into Ring of Carry, uh, somebody had told me that there's a hotel as you come in that uh, Race Around Ireland uses and that the guy who owns it is, like, a big, bike fanatic so I was like cool I'm gonna like call them up and I was like hi I'm in this race and he's like amazing cool like 30 pounds like no big deal turns out it's like a five-star hotel and it's where the so um I don't know who it was but some royals were in town and it's where all their security was staying and they're like they have to get up early to like take the royals around anyways so we'll make you breakfast like do you need a bike pump do you need any lube like any tools you need just let us know and we'll have them ready for you and I was like this is the best deal ever so that was my like favorite place I stayed and it's it literally like I walked in and I was like I should not be here I am so gross like I can smell myself I'm filthy there's like a trail of like black behind me and like I'm in a five-star hotel I missed out on that experience yeah, really yeah, kept that quiet <laughs> nice um I'm a really slow rider so the biggest thing for me was to not waste time on anything and B&Bs are obviously lovely to get a nice sleep but they're just such a time killer. You have to explain that you're on a bike and that your bike needs to go somewhere secure and you have to leave early. You're going to shower and showers are really nice, but they do take time. And so, yeah, my, my goal was to just not bother with any of that because it was just too much faff. So I only stayed in B&Bs when it was emergencies. Like I was falling asleep at the wheel, so I definitely needed to sleep. And then on the last night, Meg caught me up and she was like, you realize that Storm Hector is going to be a hurricane tonight. Like, you shouldn't ride through the night. And I was like, but I want to ride through. Okay, hurricane. Okay, fine. I'll B&B it. So <laughs> those were the only situations. Anyone have any other questions? Uh, yeah, I didn't actually get to follow the race. I was slightly busy myself. Heard uh, about that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so what, yeah. Whoops. Um, what were your like finish? What was the, what's the what were the finish times? How did you? What were your aims and ha what time did you actually finish in? Um, so for me, it was just to make the finishing party. I sort of thought nine days was sort of my goal. Um, I did it. So I wanted to get there like the day before the finishing party. So I'm Saturday, ten days, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up doing it in nine days, ten hours, and got there just on time for a few pints. <laughs> um, so that was like, on the last day I had like 300k left to do, and I was just like, I need to get my beer. Like, I have been promised a pint, I am going to get there for that pint. Like, I think it was a funny one, because in my mind I thought I'd get there the day before, but then, you know, whole shit gate thing. Um, and... 
So it was after a little bit of time out, I was like, okay, but if I can still make the party, then I'm still like kind of within my goal. So um, I think there's a few pictures floating around of me and I just look like absolutely delusional because I'm just like the biggest grin on my face. I'm like, I get my Guinness now. <laughs> uh, you asked earlier what, or what we learned from it. So my realistic goal was to finish by the finisher's party. My top level out of reach goal was to do it in eight days. And I did it in seven days, seven hours. So my biggest lesson out of that was maybe I should have self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did it, they finished on a Thursday morning, I think. So seven days. I, I, Adrian, do you know what time Sam did it in from last year? He had a lot worse weather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I do need to do it again because I I'd looked at the results from last year at people I knew from uh who had done similar races that roughly I go about the same speed and I was looking I was thinking oh, I can do it in you know worst case nine days eight days would be fine seven days would be fantastic and because of the weather and the wind which was also assisting us it was an, you know from the north the whole way until literally the last day when we got a southwesterly which blew me up to the finish I managed six six days, six hours or something. I mean, it was it was crazy. Yeah, that, the weather that would have won advantage. it last year. You'd, you'd have won it. I would have won it last year, but clearly with their weather, I would have been forty eight hours behind because the weather clearly makes a big difference. And I do want to do it again because I feel like I've not <laughs> I've not done it properly. I haven't earned my stripes really. It's too hot. It was just too hot this year. That's my Everything my. You're saying is foolish. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So somebody um, a little slower, and we got, like, people, I think, who were a little bit further back, um, Storm Hector hit, and so I had days where the headwind was, like, gusting at 50 miles per hour. I got blown off my bike twice by the winds. Um, so, like, it's, I think that's one of the crazy things about these kinds of races is, like, he's a few days up the road from me, and I'm literally, like, in torrential rain being blown off my bike, and he's like, oh, it would be nice if there's some wind. I was sleeping. I wasn't worrying about the wind. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I did it in 12 days, you know, right, right near the back. Um, I... <laughs> and, and funnily enough, I, I missed the party, but I could see that there had been a party. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'd like to do the race again. I'd like to, yeah, race it properly, and I reckon I could shave a few days off. But, yeah, with a proper bike, uh, with the same bike. Yeah. Same shoes. Same shoes. Even with the sunburns. Yeah, I wore sandals, so I think that's. Uh, uh, but but it was fine actually. Yeah, no no issues. Yeah. This is, this is for everybody. So you've obviously had a very good time and a, done a great achievement. What's your next goals for the rest of the summer or 2019? I don't have any. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, next year I was actually, I'm torn because I'd like to do, there's, um, there's a marathon that I'd like to do and cycle back uh, from Copenhagen. So that, that's something that I've got in mind. I think that's March or May next year. Um, but I'd, yeah, I'd like to do this race again. Yeah, I also want to do this race again. Maybe not next year. Maybe yeah, I'll, I'll look at the weather forecast and see, see when it's the worst. <laughs> I need to. I feel I've raced a dis- different race. Yeah, I think Adrian's thinking of moving it to winter because the global warming has fucked his race. <laughs> it's way too warm. Um, I don't really know. I, after the race, I don't know. I'm just on a completely 
down and I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I was talking to someone earlier, I was a, a race in Croatia or something. I, I don't know, it's all open what I want to do next. But something a similar sort of length or maybe a little bit, something I can do within a week would be nice just in terms of time and uh, time investment is important because it just can't take off two weeks. Three, I don't want to do, Trans Amsterdam is dangerous and too long and too far away. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to go for anything like that. Something close to home. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I, I, Darren I, and yeah, it sounds too much for me, and my wife would kill me before I got to the start line. So there's no need for a trucker to knock me off. <laughs> I definitely will do this race again. Uh, not next year, but maybe a couple of years time. Uh, I like the look of Paris Breast Paris, which is running next summer. So I'll give that a go uh, if I get entry, but yeah. Yeah, I want to do PB PBP too um, which next year. Um, also need to get entry. I've not done much audaxing this year, so I might need to fill the latter half of this year with some audaxes. Um, but I kind of just want to have fun on the bike. I think, <laughs> not that this wasn't fun, um, <laughs> But I think there's a thing where we kind of get into a habit of, yeah, what is next? And I want to start setting goals, but at the same time, I want to just sit back and appreciate what I have done so far and what I have accomplished. And I think something, I, I know a lot of the racers talk about it, but like sort of post-race blues, um, you spend so much time thinking about and working towards something that when suddenly that thing is done, you're like, well, now what am I doing? Like, what's my focus? Where am I supposed to be? And it's very, um, I think Rishi, who's Australian, um, who was in the race, so obviously, because she's in Australia, she's not here, but she posted something on Facebook um, this week, and I thought it, was, it really resonated, and I've written stuff about post-race blues before as well. And it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm going to chase the next high, the next high, and the next high. Whereas in reality, it's like reflect and learn and then figure out that next step. So things like PBP are on my list of I would love to do it at some point. Um, I kind of want to try a little bit of gravel racing. I've got a gravel bike and I don't use it, which is a crime. So I need to figure out something to do on that. There's like a weird one in Oslo that I think it's got like some, it's like a, you basically have to cycle like a pentagram in the woods and it's all like dark metal and I think that just sounds awesome because it's bizarre and weird so that appeals to me um, but yeah, I think if anyone has any ideas or races and they want to suggest them, I am open to suggestions um, I'm not comfortable saying it out loud yet but I'm in the Silk Road in a few weeks time so I'm off to Kyrgyzstan I've changed the tires on my bike from transatlantic and learn how to ride gravel and then I'm going back to running where I'm comfortable and I'm going to run across Bolivia. <laughs> Any other questions for us? I know I'm hogging the mic. Uh, any tips for potential races next year? Hint, hint. Are you going to do it? Maybe. Oh, you should. Um, I think the thing that kind of caught me off guard was because the distance isn't as big as some of the endurance rides out there, in my mind, I was like, this is a really achievable race, you know, like it's a, it's a shorter race, which is going to make it easier to fit into my schedule and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's still really hard. Like, I think I massively underestimated, I knew it was going to be a lot of climbing. Everyone told me that I stuck a 41 cassette on the back of my bike, um, which I am so glad I did. So that's my tip number jealous. one. Every, yeah, like everyone was like, <laughs> yeah, that like wolf tooth adapter thing. Like I buy one. That's, yeah. Um, I don't think, I still had to walk up probably three or four hills on the race. Um, and I mean, like you guys will understand this, but it's partly like conservation as well. So you're kind of like, okay, it's this hill. I'm like definitely at my limit. I can feel my knees sort of a little bit. So I may as well just get off and walk because I need them to work in two or three days from now. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes it's just refreshing to get off the bike. Um, there was, I posted a video at one point and it, it was Friday, um, Friday night and the headwinds were coming through this gap in the mountain 
And like it was when it was saying it was 50 mile an hour gusts and I just like, I could not cycle up the hill. Like I literally felt like I was moving backwards down the hill as I was trying to go up. I eventually was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. So I got off to start walking and then of course I'm wearing cleats and so my feet are slipping around. I'm like, well, this isn't working. So I took my shoes off and I'm like, well, now my socks are getting wet. So then I took my socks off and next thing I know, I'm walking up this mountain on a Friday night in bare feet, like dragging my bike up this hill into this headwind. And I'm like, my life decisions have led me to some weird, weird places. Um, So yeah, I think it, I just wouldn't underestimate it. That's kind of my key takeaway and get a 41 cassette. And yeah, I'd recommend SBD cleats because you, you didn't take S- yeah. Yeah. SBD mountain bike cleats. Yeah. They, they're good. Yeah, again, shoes you can walk in. I, I mean, I've walked up a couple of hills and because the rest of the time, I mean, my, I've, I've, not felt, I've not felt that amount of pain in my knees before. And nor, well, nor do I want to again. I say that I've, I've already half signed myself up for another one. But when you wake up in the morning, and there was a guy I talked to, he said, I, I sleep with my legs bent because I'm worried in the morning I won't be able to straighten them again and get on the bike. <laughs> because that's how bad your, your knees just, oh, they're just burning in the morning. I mean, in the morning is, is the worst part, I found. They're just absolutely they're just shot. I mean, once you get moving again, they get a little bit better, but really they are just, I'm still feeling it now, a few weeks later. So if, yeah, any, a tip for myself and probably for anyone else would be, yeah, just, just get yourself a little bit acquainted with that feeling of, of doing a lot of really steep climbs over and over again. They're not, they're not very big climbs. Nothing's very big. God, they're steep. Yeah, they just they just hit you like a like a sledgehammer over and over again, and you've got to you've got to get used to that and prepared for that physically and mentally. And especially, my knees weren't really ready for it, and maybe they'd never be ready for it again <laughs> without major surgery. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say yeah, just take uh, good sun cream, good waterproofs, and just yeah, just enjoy it, and you know. So, yeah, enjoy the views. Antihistamines. I was on antihistamines the whole time for hay fever, and I never had a problem with midgey bites. I got, probably got bitten loads and loads of times, but I, nothing, it didn't really annoy me any time because I think I was on antihistamines the whole time. So I would just advise taking antihistamines. It worked for me because I've got he- get hay fever. So um, everyone else, I mean, uh, Bernd, the guy who came second, he was, he was like he had some sort of terrible medieval disease on his legs from midgey bites. Um, I mean, I must have been bitten, uh, you know, thousands of times, but nothing came up. So uh, antihistamines, take them for the midges and get used to just flies going around your head. It helps if you've got bad hygiene. <laughs> yeah, I didn't wash my hair the whole time and I was fine too. So, you know, nice. something, something like that. Just stay only semi-clean <laughs> and you're, you're probably good. Um, um I had a controversial motivational tactic, which was to not know the route whatsoever. So I had some confusing points where riders were coming towards me, and I thought maybe I'd gone the wrong way because I just didn't know that we were doing loop-de-loops. And sometimes when you're heading north, I would think, oh, I've really fucked this up big time that now I'm cycling north. Um, But it was the best because, like Laura was saying, you're seeing signs for places that you've already been or they should be a lot closer than they are and that the sign... so. I think it can be a really demotivating course if you look at a map of Ireland at any point. Yeah. So I just didn't look at the map and I just took it as it came and I would just be like, oh, are we, are we doing up one of those Mike Hall challenges right now? Because this hill's been going on for ages. I just had no idea when any of that was coming and ignorance was bliss, honestly. It was great. <laughs> any other questions? Uh, when do entries for 2019 open? That's one for Adrian. It's probably September, usually about the middle of September. Uh, yeah, Donegal. Yeah, you could sort of like you cycle out of Dublin and you get to Derry, and that's you know, I wouldn't say it's flat, but it, it, it's the beginning of it. If you, uh, yeah, the, the uh, County Donegal. 
that's the qualification. If you get past that, there's probably a good chance that you're, you're going to finish it. But So the reason I kind of done that was that if you don't get past Donegal, you're in Ireland and you're on a bike. So, you know, and your bag is in Cork. <laughs> <laughs> Which was part of my plan anyway, was just to get you to Ireland because it's a fantastic country to cycle. So even if you didn't follow the route and sort of head to Cork, there's a good chance you're going to have as equal as an adventure as everyone else. And because there's so many different peninsulas, you can kind of pick up the route at any time and sort of like get back into the thick of it. But yeah, no qualifications. Anyone else? Last call. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they have now been in the wash three times since I got home. I thought if I washed them many, many times, then, like, that's acceptable to wear them again. So, you know. Well, they always be the shit shorts. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. But um, I have two other pairs that look identical, so there's a good chance they're just going to go into the rotation. <laughs> okay. I think that's a wrap. Um, most of us are going to stick around for a little bit if anyone wants to grab drinks. But, yeah. Thanks, for everyone, for coming out. I want to say a massive thank you to Laura Scott, Adrian for introducing the panel. Thank you, George. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, James. Thanks to everybody that joined us. And thank you, listener. If you like what we do, don't forget to smash that like button. Give us a rating on iTunes and share it with anybody you know that likes podcasts, cycling, both. Yeah. Until next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.